0: get a little, there it is. You used to be able to read in the dark. Anybody remember that? Your parents would yell at you, don't read in the dark, you're going to hurt your eyes. Should have listened. We're in Titus. We're in part four of our series as we're preaching through Titus. We're in uh, chapter two. And I'm going to read you verses one through five, and we're going to pick up where we left off the last time, but let's thank, let's thank God for his word. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that you've given us, Lord. You haven't uh, left us here as orphans. You haven't left us here without a manual. You haven't left us without standing orders or instructions, but you've given us your word, 66 books that teach us everything we need to know in this life to get to the next so father i pray by the holy spirit that you'd open titus up to us tonight and father we would get these principles that we would uh, receive lord wisdom from your spirit and that tonight we'd be able to apply these things to our own lives and to the lives of those you've called us to minister to i ask it in jesus name and the church said amen well chapter two of titus starting in verse one It says this, but as you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, he's speaking to Titus, this is Paul, he gives instruction. Now listen, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Verse 6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. So let's stop there. Paul is giving Titus instruction how to teach the older men, the older women, the younger women, the, old, the, the uh, younger men, Uh, We're going to continue in this study, God willing, next time we're together, and we're going to look at how he tells slaves to obey their masters. Now, we apply that in our culture uh, by being good workers and being submissive to authority. I didn't get one amen on that. I got a yep. Yep. I understand, but we're going to get there. So we looked at how the older men are supposed to behave and what they're supposed to do. We looked at how the older women are supposed to behave and what they're called to do. In the women category there, we talked about the young ladies and that the older women should train the young ladies. Now we're talking about young men here. Uh, verse 4 gave us that list You know, for, for the ladies. Love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so, that the word of God would not be dishonors, uh, dishonored. So, it's how we uh, do these things as men and women that either we show lives that honor the word of God or we, we dishonor the word of God by obeying the culture rather than the word of God. If when we preach the word of God, it offends you. You know, well, I don't want any roles as a man. I don't want any duties. As a woman, I don't want to listen to anybody. I don't want to submit. I just, you know, if we let the culture short-circuit the word of God, we dishonor the word of God. Yeah, in our churches all across the nation, we, you know, we have more culture than we do gospel sometimes we have more you know culture than we do the uh, the biblical mandates that have been given to us so that needs to shift in the church amen we need to be an example to prove that god's word works amen when i do what i'm supposed to do and i love my wife and my wife does what she's supposed to do it works and our marriage works and our children are blessed and there's an overflow from our home amen when i do it my way and she does it her way not so much So it's up to us. Now, it's easy for us to listen to what the young women are supposed to do and say, yeah, you know, these young people are crazy. But partially it's our fault because we were supposed to train them. So now, you know, God's word is mocked when we don't do our job in the body and the body doesn't honor the word. Uh, You know, we're supposed to Uh, We're supposed to train up the young ones. And so we move on to verse 6 through 8 here. Paul talks to Titus about shaping the young men to be pleasing to God. Now remember, Titus is preaching to who? Cretan, say it loud. Cretans. And, you know, if you've heard about Cretans before, they have a reputation. They're a tough bunch. They were immoral. They were stubborn. They were worldly. Uh, they were all, you know, they were hard to handle. So Paul's given Titus here some ammo because why these people need to be trained. Amen. Can you look in our culture and see that our, our, this generation, you know, the way we live right now, we need to go back to the word of God and be trained. Man, you're way too quiet tonight. Somebody get me my water gun. We need, we need some training, amen? Well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, yeah, you can. I'm an old dog. I'm learning some new tricks. And so we can learn. Here's what it says to teach the young men. Uh, in verses 6 through 8 here, it, it focuses right on them. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will not be able to put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Isn't that, isn't that a, an incredible thought, to live such a life that people can't say anything bad about you? Yeah, it's quiet now, because most of us don't live there, Amen. But, it, you know, if a person, good works, good deeds, good attitude, clean mouth, you know, all of these things that, that even people who don't like you and aren't for you can't say anything bad about you, that, that's really the goal, isn't it? So here he says to the young man, you know, all these things you need to do. Now, I want to say something. Young people need a lot of mentoring to be successful in life. And you and I are the ones who are supposed to do it. I was thinking about keeping the youth group in here tonight, but I thought, you know what, let's just train the older folks to do the job that we're supposed to do and be reminded of what we're obligated to do to the next generation. They need a lot of mentoring. They need a lot of training. They need a lot of coaching to be successful in this world. It's a tough world out there. The truth is we haven't invented any new sin, but it is a lot tougher in the world than when we grew up. Now, I know some of you walked uphill both ways to school in the snow. But all jokes aside, this generation's got it tough. Anybody care? Oh, I'm just trying to make my way, be comfortable, be, you know, just trying to make enough money, just thinking about retirement. We've got to think about the next generation. Because we need somebody to pass the baton down to, the gospel down to. Hello? Hello? Should the Lord tarry? You know, I know we're all hoping Jesus is coming like yesterday. But if he should tarry, you know, I think about who are we going to pass the baton down to? We've got to train the next generation. So did you ever notice how historically that it seems like every generation gets a little bit softer, a little less restrained, a little less moral, a little less productive as time goes by? You ever notice that? If you study Israel's history, you'll notice that right away. One generation gets saved, they get right with the Lord. The next generation's a little softer. The next generation, you know, is a little weaker, and they're kind of going back into the world. And by the fourth generation, if you study the cyclical nature of Israel's history, by that generation, they would go back to worshiping idols, and God would have to judge them again and then bring them back into relationship. So it's a normal pattern to see the generations get a little softer, a little less moral, a little less productive, and to drift away. You say, why is that? It's partly because the older generation has failed to train the younger generation. Now you think, well, I didn't come to church to, you know, to get beat up on tonight. Well, I'm sorry, that's what it's, it's saying here. The implication is that you know, we have to train the next generation. And if we fail to do that, God will hold us accountable. So it's partly because of that, And it's partly because the current generation, as all current generations, wants to rebel against the older generation, right? We didn't want to be like our parents. We didn't want to listen to their music. We didn't want to dress like them. You know, every generation does that. It wasn't just the hippies in the 60s, which some of you are. But no, no, it's, it's that rebellious nature of youth that says, no, I don't want to, you know, they don't know anything. You know, they don't even know. You know, back in my day, it was like, you, you can't even program the VCR. Now, they're, they're, they don't even know what a VCR is. And my, my kids are so much more technically advanced than me. Riley informed me the other day that I am, I am behind the times. And I, I was insulted at first, and then I thought about it, and I'm like, he's right. I need to, I need to do something here. So there's this thing where we need to train them and they need to be open to being trained it's really hard to train someone who doesn't think they can learn anything from you you see how the devil works now young men need and young men and young women need to be mentored by godly people You know, mothers do for their daughters what only mothers could do, and and fathers do for their sons only what fathers can do. But, you know, we need a mother and father, despite, you know, what feminism says, despite what our culture says, you know, baby mommy and my baby daddy and all this nonsense stupidity that's destroyed the fabric of our society. It's just immorality repackaged. You know, despite all that, we need a mother and father in the home. And the truth is, statistically, that's more and more a rarity. Uh, You know, our nation, particularly in the urban inner city areas there, there is a plague where 70% of children are born out of wedlock. Some segments of the population statistically abort 70% of their children. There's a there's a purge, a genocide going on in in our inner cities. Now think about that, 70% of kids born out of wedlock, now children born out of wedlock, you know, in these single parent homes there, or homes without fathers, they are incredibly impacted by that situation. I know it's become normal and we think it's, you know, it's just the way it is and it's fine, but it's not fine and it's not working out good. Statistically, these kids have an uphill battle. Now, I want to give you seven negative impacts on fatherless boys. Boys are particularly impacted by fatherlessness. When you have 70% born out of wedlock and there's no fathers in the home, particularly the boys are going to be damaged. Here's what the statistics say. I I searched around the internet and and got some statistics here. Fatherless boys are very, very likely to live in poverty. Married couples Well, only 10% of married couples will fall below the poverty line. Fatherless children, 47.9% will fall below the poverty line, almost half. When you're raised in poverty, that affects you in a very negative way. Fatherless children, particularly boys, are more than three times more likely to use drugs and alcohol at younger ages. Fatherless boys are two times more likely to commit suicide. 71% of boys that drop out of high school and don't graduate are fatherless. Fatherless boys experience sexual abuse at a much higher rate. There's no one there to protect them. Fatherless boys statistically become sexually active at much younger ages. Fatherless boys are exceptionally more likely to commit crimes, to join gangs, and to be incarcerated. It's really quiet on Wednesday night here. I'm preaching good. I don't, I don't know what's going on out there. But the truth is, these statistics are sobering, but it's, it's what we're living with. Do you see the need for the church to step up And fill the gap. I'm talking to men tonight. There's some of you here. You know what? We can invest our time and energy in some of these fatherless young boys. And we need to look for opportunities to do that because they are impacted so negatively. They grow up without a dad in the home. They grow up without an example of what a man is supposed to be. And they're angry and they feel rejection. And that anger, it, it, it just becomes something that they can't harness and they act out and they're looking for attention in all the wrong places and they wind up making one bad decision after another. If you go into prisons and you talk to prisoners, you're gonna find out and the majority of them were fatherless. Wow. God help us in America. God help us in the nations. It says here that the older men, when we studied what they were supposed to, they were supposed to be temperate. Now, verse six uh, tells, you know, the young men to be sensible, temperate and sensible. You know, they they have some commonalities there. So, you know, a young man is going to grow into a temperate man who can control himself, but young men are to be sensible. Now, those two words are close, but, you know, it suggests that being, you know, young men and old men need to be level-headed. They need to be in control of their emotions. Now, notice uh, young men need to embrace sensible behavior. Sensible. You say, why does the Bible you know, call them to be sensible. Because you know what, when you're young and you're full of testosterone and you, and you have a lot of energy and you think you're indestructible, anybody remember those days? It's hard to lift up my hand now. And, but like, you, you, you just, you, you're, 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 you're kind of crazy. Pastor Mike, you remember? Yeah. We used to do stuff, go outside. Go nuts, go crazy, go, go wild, make bad decisions. And that's what young men are prone to. Here the Bible is telling them to be sensible, uh, to have control of their tempers and their passions and their emotions and you know, their physical bodies and, and in a way that you know, uh, honors God. Now, young men are categorically told to be sensible because you know, youth is prone to be extreme, volatile, and reckless. Can we agree on that? How many people when you are young made reckless decisions? How many ha- had, you know, volatile, you, you just like, y- yeah, rash, especially, you know, it's just, it's just part of growing up, it's part of finding your way. But, you know, this whole extreme thing, you, you ever notice the appeal our culture has with the extreme, extreme sports, extreme this? When I was a kid, you just rode a bike, right? You rode a bike. We didn't even have a helmet. Hello, is anybody alive out there? We didn't, we didn't have helmets and knee pads. You rode a bike. You made a jump. You, you went over it. You fell in the dirt. You picked the pebbles out of yourself. Your mom called you for lunch. Then you did it again. Now, everything's extreme. You can't just Now, you got to hook yourself up to a bungee cord and jump off of things. You got to leap off of buildings. You got to ride bikes through this. I mean, you see what these young people do? Trying to push the envelope. What is that? You know, it's that extreme uh, volatile nature of youth being exploited. Why? Because people want to channel into that so they can make money off of them. And God is saying, you know, yeah, you can have fun, you could be wild, you could enjoy your masculinity, but you need to be sensible. Because some of these decisions that are made in our youth, as we know, as older folks, have followed us into the future. So young men have a tendency to be extreme and volatile and reckless. Older men, speak to them, encourage them, t- tell them what you've learned throughout the years. Uh, you know, our culture with this extremeness this and extreme that, God says not extreme, but be sensible. This is what sensibility looks like in a young person, especially a young man. It's embracing discipline in all the areas of life that will allow you to be blessed in the future. That's a working definition of sensibility. Some of you old people need this too because God is not done with you and he's got some, some stuff to do with you. So, you know, it's embracing this idea where, you know, we're, we're going to restrain ourselves and we're, gonna, we're not just going to let ourselves go, but we're going to be making decisions that will make us productive and useful in the kingdom of God. Amen? Uh, here's what it looks like for a young man to be sensible uh, he needs to work more than he plays. This is important stuff. If you're gonna mentor somebody, get these ideas down. Encourage young people to work more than they play. They always wanna play, they always wanna have fun. They blow off what's important, and they do what seems exciting at the moment, but it has no impact upon their future. They need to save more than they spend. This this will help the next generation to stay out of debt, to, to have discipline. They need to restrain themselves morally, physically, and sexually. Our culture is encouraging young people to cast aside all restraint. It's worse now than it's ever been before. Why? Because, you know, the forces that have crept into all the places of influence, the colleges, the schools, the multimedia, all of that, and they push kids to just, you know, with reckless abandonment, just, you know, be wild, be extreme, be immoral, don't discipline yourself, don't work hard, don't save money. You know, all of these things are destructive to the generation. And one thing we need to teach young men and young women is to choose good friends. You know, your friends, you know, even some of us, I'm, I'm 52. You know, some of the friends that I've had, I've had to look at them and just, you know, they still haven't grown up. They're still going nowhere. They're still immature, and I'm not hanging out with them anymore. So teaching our young people to uh, pick and choose good friends and to get away from the bad ones is so key. Uh, Young men embracing restraint need to build skills that open doors for them. Amen. We have a whole generation that's out there, and they just, you know, they, they, they don't, want to work hard and they don't want to learn and they want to start off with the corner office and a six-figure job and they figure it's all owed to them and then they figure out you know when they get out there and it's not the way it goes they're upset and they're angry and we have a whole generation that that's been you know kind of pre-programmed to be lazy now they think they want socialism yeah we just want free stuff now If you think this isn't a problem, look what was running around in the streets just months ago, burning down buildings. What's that about? Now everybody's uncomfortable. Well, at some point, it's going to knock on all of our doors. And the church has to face the issue young men who fail to work more than they play, save more than they spend, restrain themselves morally, physically, sexually, uh, fail to choose good friends, fa- fail to build skills that'll give them a career. These are the ones that squander their potential and squander their youth. They wind up disappointed and broke and working dead-end jobs and and you know, then they're angry and they're living in their parents' basement till they're 40. What is this about? Partially it's about a nation that has drifted away from its moorings, a church that has failed to mentor, and a generation that has rejected the statutes of God. It's time to pray. It's time to roll up our sleeves. Should the Lord tarry? We've got a lot of work to do in our nation, building up our young men and women. Someone say amen. Verse seven gives more detail, uh, and instructions here uh, are given the older men let's check out verse 7 here it says this in all things show yourself to be an example older guys what are we supposed to be older guys what are we supposed to be that was still pitiful an example you're supposed to be an example Well, I don't want to get involved well I've already raised my kids well I'm you know I don't have I don't have any so you know I'm, I'm, I'm exempt no all of us who are part of the body of Christ have a job to do in raising up the next generation. Boy, this is such a this is a popular message tonight. I'll tell you. I can't wait to we get to how we're supposed to behave at work. Stop stealing the paper clips. We're getting to that next week. So, it says here: be an example of good deeds. Uh, learn. You know, older men we were the examples but what are we teaching these younger kids we're teaching them to do good things to serve and that's what a young person needs to learn to do to serve young men need to learn to serve the, the next generation to show respect to others especially their elders you know we've lost that to a large degree we, we see, you know, you know, gangs of young people just picking on the elderly and, and, and assaulting them. and so, do, you, do you even realize what's going on in New York City right now as I'm preaching this? Do you realize they're shooting each other on the weekends? It's just unbelievable. I, I can't remember the statistic. I think 60 people were shot last weekend in New York City. Young people are predatory on older people. There's no respect anymore. You know, the the culture is unraveling. Young men need to be taught to respect their elders, to say, yes, sir, to say, yes, ma'am. That's not a bad thing. To be polite, to help an old person across the street. Anybody remember that? To carry somebody's groceries up the stairs, to hold the door for others. We've lost our civility, and we've got to train it into our young Christian men. We've got to teach them to be respectful. It says what? To be an example of good deeds, okay, with purity in doctrine. Look at this. I want to tell you something. The time for young people to learn the Word of God is not when they're old and gray. This has been... A lie that the church is bought into. Well, you know, they're young and they're wild and, you know, we're just going to, you know, we'll just send them to youth group and we'll just, you know, we'll just do our thing. But listen, we have got to be pumping the word of God into our children from when they're little in in children's ministry, in the youth group, amen, when they're in the sanctuary, they need to be getting it. The time to learn the word is not when you're old. It's like, oh, you know, when I'm old and I got nothing else to do, then I'll come to God and I'll accept Jesus and I'll, you know, I'll go to church. That's a trap and it's a lie. You know, you talk about teaching an old dog a new trick. Here's the statistics from the National Association of Evangelicals, the NAE. It says this it gives these statistics about when people come to Jesus and get saved. I think this is going to shock you. But from ages zero to three, only 1% of people get saved. Now we get that, right? You know, it's hard to preach to babies. You don't have tent revivals for toddlers. So 1% from zero to three. So some kids are getting saved at three, praise God. Four to 14, this age bracket, 63% of people who get saved and make Jesus Savior and Lord are between the ages of 4 and 14. 63%. Let me try that in English. 63%. Wow. 1%, 0 to 3, 4 to 14. That sounds like young people. That sounds like children's ministry. That sounds like youth group to me, amen? 63%. From ages 15 to 29, 34% of people who are saved get saved. Now listen to this, 30 and over, 2%. These are hard, cold statistics. If you, you know, in Bible school, we took evangelism classes and stuff. I heard these 30 years ago. They're still true. You know, you think, well, we'll get them when they're old and gray. We'll get them when they've, you know, sown their wild oats. We'll get them when they're done being extreme. Statistically, you're not going to get them. Four to 14 is the window. The church needs to think differently about our young people and about our youth. Four to 14 is the window. It's our greatest opportunity to preach the gospel, to pour the word into them, to see their souls converted. Sunday school, youth group, church attendance, from birth until they're, you know, grown, uh, will help them to avoid the snares of the world. It's amazing, you know. By the time they're old enough to go to college, it's amazing how many young people who are raised in the church go to college, deny God, walk away from the faith, and never come back to church. It's so sad. I don't even want to send my kids to college. The indoctrination and the the spiritual uh, destruction that happens there, the immorality that's so prevalent just seems to sap the faith of so many. It continues here. You know, they're supposed to be sound in doctrine, and they're also supposed to be dignified. Now, that's an interesting thing here. We urge you, young men, to be sensible in all things, to show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified now might seem weird to think of a young person as dignified How, how many kind of think that's you know young people just seem to kind of be goofy right has anyone ever young saved any pictures of yourself i mean you can young people are kind of goofy teenage boys are kind of goofy right And so here the Bible is saying that, you know, they're to be dignified, so they have some form of dignity. Now, it might seem weird, but, you know, especially in our current culture, that encourages young boys even into manhood to continue to be childish and self-centered and irresponsible. Do you realize, you know, the enemy has attacked masculinity to the point where we've got grown men who act like little children, Come on, any of you guys out there that are real men that, you know, are godly men, you know, you're offended by men like this. Someone help me out while I'm preaching here, amen? Or you a bunch of big sissies out there, too, sitting home playing video games and eating chips and letting your wife do everything. That's ridiculous. Yet that's what our culture encourages men to be. Oh, the ladies look so happy now, And, you know, we we can't buy into that because young men, even young men, have dignity. Now, here's what the the Bible says. Listen to some of these scriptures. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example unto the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Let no man despise your youth. Let nobody despise the young. Amen you not never look at a young person and go, what do they know? They don't know anything. You know, they, they don't even talk. You don't know anything. I've heard people say stuff like that. Yet when I was young, I was surrounded by young people, even in Bible school, with powerful anointings, with a large amount of wisdom, with, who had harnessed purity, who had the call of God on their lives. There's young people like that out there. We can't despise the youth and young people shouldn't despise the fact that they're youth. Ecclesiastes eleven nine. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. So be young, have fun, rejoice in your youth. Man, there's nothing like being young. In heaven, we're all gonna be in our 20s. I'm I'm taking a stab in that one. Because, you know, the youth and you know, whatever age that exemplifies the, the beauty of God's creation, amen. It's definitely not the you know, the elderly, right? Nobody wants to answer that one. I don't know about you. You can when you get to heaven, you can say, I want to be 85, I want to be 20. Right? I remember Pastor Mike and I were talking about this, that we got to a certain age where, you know, we felt that our youth had passed. And uh, there was a mourning, there's a mourning period there. Did anyone ever feel that? Just like, why am I sad? Or why is it, you know, because my youth is past. We're supposed to rejoice in our youth, and young people are, but remember, don't be too extreme because God will bring you into judgment for the wildness. How about Joel 2, 28? And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon all the old people, and the young people will watch and do nothing. Is that what it says? No, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Amen? Amen. So young people have a part in the move of God, in the kingdom of God, that, you know, they're, they're going to carry the spirit of God. They're going to prophesy. They're going to see visions. This is talking about young men. Proverbs 20:29. 20, the glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is their gray hair. So, you know, I feel, you know, The glory of young men is their strength. The beauty of old men is their gray head. As this grays up here, you know, I'm feeling uh, more like an old man than a young man. But I see young men and their stature and their strength and their vigor and their optimism. And And I think it's a beautiful thing. Have you ever just looked at a young person and go like, wow. It's beautiful. Abs. You know, at some point you have to do exploratory surgery to find your abs. But young people, the, the beautiful form and all the strength and the optimism, did you ever just get around a young person and they they were optimistic? Wow, that's refreshing, isn't it? Not a bunch of 90-year-old codgers sitting by the shuffleboard court complaining about the government. Optimistic. That's dignified. That's beautiful. That's something that should be displayed. So they're not to despise their youth; they're to rejoice in their youth. They're going to prophesy. They're going to see visions. Their glory is their strength, and they have a dignity all their own. So young people need to be appreciated. They need to, uh, you know, express their youth in such a way that brings dignity to God and esteem from others. Verse eight gives Paul's final instruction to young men. And this is a big one. It says that they should be sound in speech. Say speech. The stuff that comes out of people's mouths is really serious. Anybody? And you know what? I'm not picking on any generation. Our generation was, you know, just as vocal, just as bad. But you know what? If you hear what comes out of young people's mouths today, come on just if you've never heard it well i was going to say go on the internet and just listen to to what's coming out of the mouth of our youth and here paul is telling them you know to be sound in speech young people have to have control over their mouths and be well-spoken. Why? So that they can't be found any fault in them, which is beyond reproach. That's what the Bible is telling as an instruction to young people. Speak in such a way that your words and the way you carry yourself would set you apart as someone who is beyond reproach, that you don't need to be corrected. Amen? Now, speech is powerful and it's revealing here's how speech is powerful speech is powerful because our words have creative power the things that come out of our mouth have creative power if if you're a parent and you you know you tell a young person that they're incredible that they're talented that they're destined to do great things you know what they probably will And if you're a parent and you tell a young person that they're horrible, they're worthless, they're lazy, they're destined to fail, they're never gonna measure up, guess what, they probably will. Because our words have creative power. And some of us have had words spoken over us that the power of those things need to be Broken. Those words still hang over you and they, they, they control you and they, 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 knock you, you know, they knock you back every once in a while and those words need to be broken. So realize words are powerful when we speak them as older folks, but they are also powerful in the mouths of our youth. What they say about themselves, what they say about the things of God, what they say about uh, authority. Words are powerful because they, they have the power to create. A young person who curses and criticizes and complains all the time is using the creative power of their own words to bring darkness and drama into their lives. Our young people need to be taught how to talk. Speech is powerful, but it's also revealing. Why is it revealing? Because what comes out of a person's mouth reveals everything you need to know about their character. Now it's quiet. No amens on this one because all of us have said stuff that we wish we wouldn't have said. Anybody? You yeah, I'll raise both hands, right? You know, and the things that come out of our mouth sometimes, and we're like, oh, you know. But you know what? I found out something about the revealing nature of words. If you want to know what's in a person's heart, don't ask them, just let them talk. Anybody? You know, if you want to know something about somebody, now this is hard for some people because you always want to talk, and you don't let them talk. When you're getting to know somebody, let them talk. And if you let them talk and you don't interrupt them, within a very short time, you're going to discover everything you need to know about them because it'll come out of their mouths. Young people, you know, when they talk and what comes out of their mouths, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak, it reveals the character. So speech is revealing. A young person who's well-spoken, who can speak Proper English, who can articulate meaningful thoughts, who is polite, respectful, and not vulgar, has a leg up on 95% of this generation. If we could teach our children to do those things, if we could teach our young people to do those things, they would have a leg up in such a way that, I mean, they would be the most hireable, the most promotable, the ones who are given responsibility. Hello? It's all in the mouth. Because people are listening to what comes out of the mouth of our youth. People are listening to what comes out of the mouths of those who say they're Christians. So speech is powerful, and speech is revealing. Now, how are young people taught to speak these days? Well, our young men learn to speak by listening to the older men. Guys, we're an example. I learned how to be a man from my father. I've said this before. My mother's taught me a lot of things. I learned a lot from my mother, but I didn't learn how to be a man from my mother. I learned how to be a man from my father. I learned how to speak. My dad didn't come home and curse and yell and say the F word all the time. Some of you were raised in houses like that. Some of you were raised in, in, in areas like that where it was profanity all the time. We've got to do better in teaching our children. Why? Because, you know, when they can't articulate a meaningful thought, when they use profanity as punctuation, it it, it just short circuits their uh, ability to be successful in life, much less to be pleasing to the Lord. So our young men are listening to how us older men speak. Are we vulgar? Do we curse and complain all the time? Do we criticize everyone? Uh, is everything, you know, uh, just a complaint? You know, how do, we, how do we talk when our kids are in the car and we're moving through traffic? My wife and I drove down to New Jersey to go to the beach, and it was amazing at how many people could not drive that were on the road. But, you, you know, what comes out of our mouths? We were on the beach, and uh, we, were, we were sitting, you know, they kind of had us uh, stay six feet apart, they were saying, or something on the beach, I don't know. Well, we were close enough to one family's blanket to listen. You know, they had this radio blaring. Now, I'll never forget this. They had this radio blaring pl- playing, you know, some of the music that some of the young people listen to. And I am not lying to you. Within one song, I heard the F word 10 times. I heard the N word five times. I heard a reference to using an AK-47 to kill a police officer. I heard women called all kinds of names I won't repeat in church. And this was one song. And I'm sitting there looking at a little boy in his diapers, another little boy in his swimming trunks, and a teenager sitting on the blanket listening to this filth pour into them. And the parents are sitting there with a big attitude like, yeah, I dare you to say something about my music. And I thought to myself, you are destroying your children. You are destroying your young boys. God help us. Our culture has become so perverse that they they dare us to even say anything about it. Wow. What's going into those kids what are they listening to? What does the music sound like? What's going on in the internet? Our young people are learning from the example of the last generation. Remember, when the church sounds like the world, those who are opposed to Christianity and opposed to the gospel have a legitimate case to bring against us. We've got our teach our children better. We've got to teach our young people better. And you think, well, you know what? They're all in there. They're all youth group. But listen, we're the ones that can make a difference in their lives if we'll roll up our sleeves and get involved. Titus was ministering to a rough generation, and you know what? so are we. So Paul's words, they they fit so well for us as a wake-up call. And it says here, The reason we should do all these things so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. God, help us to mentor and to raise the next generation in such a way that even those who oppose us can't find anything bad to say about us. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for this book. Lord, it's challenging. Lord, it's convicting. Lord, it's motivating. And I pray, Lord God, that whose ever heart's being stirred tonight to make a difference. Maybe there's boys on your block that have no fathers. Maybe there's family members that, you know, it's single parent homes and, you know, you can make a difference. You have an opportunity, but you're too busy or you don't know what to do. And would this be a call to us, God, to to stir up our hearts, us older men, the older women, Lord, to, to have a burden for this generation. God, help us. Time is running out. Time is running short. Use us as we make ourselves available. I prayed in Jesus name.